that's a good place to bring up our speaker of the hour. I introduce to some and welcome Prophet Mike Rose. It's a sweet time to offer a praise. If you've fallen in love with him, sing the words of the song. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Now, come on, if you believe that's the best thing you've ever done, I dare you put a praise behind that. If you understand that falling in love with Jesus is the best transaction you've ever completed, the best deed I've ever done with my life, if I could have fallen in love with Jesus, I could be infatuated with anything else. I could be in covenant with anything else. But the best thing I could have done is falling in love with Jesus. Come on, my Redeemer, my Savior, the propitiation for my sin, the greatest sacrifice, the only name by which men must be saved. Oh, come on, that's good enough for me. Worship the Lord our God. The song said the best thing I've ever done, the best thing I've ever been a part of, the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Father, we bless you to the only wise God, to the only one called Almighty, the only one worthy to be exalted and worshiped. We love you on this morning. Before you sit, I'm going to share this with you. While I'm sitting in my seat, the Lord said, the problem with the church and the altar isn't where the altar is erected. As many of us question, what are we supposed to do once we get there? What do I do once I get to the altar, Lord? What am I supposed to be doing once I've gotten to that quiet place with you? The Spirit of the Lord shared with me, but the enemy has been trying to shut our mouths. That there's a mispropitiation or misappropriation, excuse me, of silence. Well, the enemy has been trying to stop us from praying, stop us from being connected, stop us from receiving the resource that he has for us. The reason why we have to get back to the altar, this is a protected place. This is a sacred place where you can be quiet in the Lord and have communion with him. We have to get back to what prayer really means. It's not a laundry list of things. It's not me sitting on Santa's lap. It's God, what do you need me to do? The prophet spoke about last night in Isaiah that he talked about who shall I send? Who shall I send? And the prophet said, Lord, send me. That's what prayer is. Lord, send me. I know I may not feel worthy, God, and I may not think that I'm worthy, God, but send me. The scripture that the Lord brought for this sermon is one that we're familiar with. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 through 16. And the very first part is the part where we're going to start. You can have your seats. It says, now that I've brought it to your attention that the altar is necessary, I got to teach you what to do once you get here. It was already a struggle to come. Now we have to be instructed. The very first verse says, then if my people who are called by my name, the feelings that we have of when we lack worthiness, when we feel like we're not supposed to be in a certain place, it's because we don't understand the value that's on us. The scripture says, Second uh, Chronicles 7 through 14 through 16, then if the people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. 
Verse 15, my eyes will be open, my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. Oh, God. Verse 16 says, for I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it for it is dear to my heart. Starting in verse 14, the Lord had me to break down the scripture piece by piece so we begin to understand why is it so important that we be in prayer. The first part is, then if the people who are called by my name, we have to understand the value that's placed on us, not by us, not by our name, not by what we can achieve or what we have achieved, but the value that's put on us is the name by which we are called. The authority in us comes by the acceptance of our value, knowing that who we are and where we come from matters. You are literally the tangible imagination of God. Your will and your, the purpose for your life was a part of his imagination, and he caused you to be made flesh. That's not an accident. God didn't just do that because he was bored. You were a part of his purpose the whole time. You were a part of his plan. No matter the things that we've gone through in life, you were still a part of his plan. The scripture says, a people who are called by my name, we must first understand the power in which we speak. Knowing the power of the name is a reflection of the value in being called by it. Proverbs 18 and 10 says, his name is a strong tower. Matthew 6 and 9 says, our father whose name is to be hallowed or considered holy. In Exodus chapter 3, the Lord said unto Moses, I am that I am. And in Revelations 1 and 8, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I'm the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Through the, throughout the Bible, the power of the name of God is spoken of and alluded to, followed and honored. The name even our kinsman redeemer, Christ, acknowledged as great. See, that's, that's the part that we have to understand. I love that in his earthly ministry, he never took glory unto himself. He always makes sure to allude the people back to the Father. Yeah, you see me do great things. You see me manifest and do miracles, but I'm only doing the will of him that sent me. This is the name by which we are called. Authority calls us. Glory calls us. Greatness, strength, and sovereignty calls us. This is the stamp on us, and this is the voice that we have living on the inside of us. This is an extension of the magnitude that goes to contradict the narrative that our voice has no use. While dealing with the notes, the Lord began to show me how culturally we've been shown that our voice is not to be used. I know when I was coming up, children were supposed to be seen and not heard. That we couldn't speak about what happened in the house. That we couldn't sit amongst conversation. No one ever asked me how I felt or how I was doing. I would expect to stay in a child's place. So even in my formative years, you begin to see that the mind, or excuse me, the voice is not alluded to as important. Where I'm sure as a child, I can tell you what I want. I can tell you how I feel. I can tell you what I perceive, but did you ask me? We begin to take this on as a mentality where we don't speak or advocate for ourselves. This mentality of misappropriated silence has done more damage in the body than one may imagine. When prayer is disrupted, vision becomes distorted. Where prayer no longer resides, that place can no longer be considered a house of God. Why? That's what is built upon. The house is established on prayer. Our very lives, the sustenance in which we receive from God is an act of prayer. We're supposed to stay in that still calm space where God can direct and guide us and show us where we're supposed to be going. There are blessings, endowments, and deliverances, liberties, and innovations that very economy that is attached to our name is held up when we don't pray. There's access that God gives us when we submit ourselves in that place. The prophetic word that came on last night said that we're supposed to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. The scripture says holy and acceptable. How do we present ourselves as a living sacrifice? I know the Bible talks about oftentimes in the Old Testament, they would kill the young bull and the goat and the turtle dove. How does one present themselves as a living sacrifice? At the altar in prayer. 
This is why the enemy doesn't want us to speak. This is why we have so many different reasons to keep us quiet. And when we don't feel like we're being heard, this is why prayer is so important. We have to come to the space and acknowledgement and where we've had not, excuse me, it's not just sin, but it's the weight that so easily besets us. I, I, I got stuck at that part when I was writing the notes because the Lord talked about how legalistic we become with ourselves. You know how we talk about we're our own worst enemy? Well, we'll start to, start to dot our own I's and cross our own T's and we're worried about, God, did I do that right? Did I do this right? Can I do that right? I was uh, coming into church this morning. I heard a preacher say, you don't clean up before a shower. You don't get clean before you get in the shower. He said, you're supposed to come in with Christ and let him do the cleaning. Come into agreement with him and he'll show you what to clean up. There's so many people that stay out of the church because they think they're not worthy of the place that they're trying to get to. They think that they're not supposed to be in this space because of where I've been in my life. Last time I remember, the Bible said I didn't come for the healed. I came for them that are sick. I didn't come for them that figured it out already. I didn't come for those who already understand my laws and my precepts. I came for those that might be lost. We cannot allow this perfectionism spirit, this mindset to keep us from getting to God. Because while we're focused on the sin, we negate the weight. While we're focused on getting every part of this relationship right, we don't think about the baggage that we're bringing with us. Minister Leah uh, preached a while ago about traveling light. There's a reason why we have to get those things off of us. In the scripture it says, to humble themselves, pray, seek, and turn. Humility is often seen as a means of character, which is definitely true. But let's break down the word humility. The word humility um, derived from Latin means humilis, which means low. This definition also says the freedom from pride. Mm, I had to stop there. The freedom from pride. Do we understand that when we hold on to our stuff, that's where we become most proud? The Bible talks about cast your cares onto me, for I care what happens to you. But we won't even tell God what's wrong. One of the biggest, I almost turned off and de disactivated all my social media last night when I heard this. The part that gets me so tripped up, we're so ready to tell Facebook what our problem is. We'll make Facebook posts, we'll you know sneak this, throw shade, all kinds of stuff. We'll give a whole testimony because Facebook asked the question, what's on your mind? All it said was, what's on your mind? Do we even notice that we are erecting an altar through our phones? Talking to Facebook? Talking to a dead thing that can do nothing for us but remind us every year of where we were last time? Every year through memory, they just remind us of where we haven't come from. We're still looking at it. Praise be to God, because I had to erase some of the memories. But... uh <laughs> Every year just reminds you of the hardship I had last year. It didn't bring me any deliverance. It didn't bring me no resolution. It didn't bring me any peace. It just told me what I was complaining about last time. But we struggle to get in prayer where there's resource. We struggle to get into prayer where there's answers and responses. I remember last night that the Lord had me to teach on one of the Wednesdays about 1 Kings chapter 18. That Elijah heard from God and in his prayer he said... Let them know by what you do that I was sent by you, that I'm here to do your will. And the scripture says immediately God responded to Elisha's prayer. So while we write in these paragraphs and got to tap see more on Facebook, God responded immediately to Elijah. That all Elijah had to do, even while being mocked, even while being persecuted, I remember the scripture said that Obadiah was sent out to look for water and found Elijah. That Ahab had been looking for Elijah all this time. And Obadiah's like, okay, I found you. But if you don't stand still and I go tell Ahab, he's going to kill me instead. Elijah said, nope, I will, I will present myself to Ahab today. Now, you know, you got to have a different level of boldness when this joker has been looking for you. I don't know if anybody else has had street beef, but when they are looking for you, I will find myself somewhere else. Even Obadiah said it. Every time someone said they found you, God takes you up in the wind and you're gone. He said, no, nah, I'm going to show myself today. And as he's standing there with the prophets of Baal, he said, this is what we're going to do. Y'all erect your altar, and I'm going to erect mine. The first God to respond is the one that we will serve. 
Little did the prophets of Baal know that that was a loaded deck. 750 of them and one Elijah. And it's the scripture, I love the part, it said that Elijah allowed them to do this all day. We started in the morning. They got to the noonday sacrifice. Right around supper time, Elijah, hey, you might want to yell a little louder. Your God might be doing other things. He might be sleeping or the scripture says relieving himself of duty. So now the, the, the prophets of Baal say, you know what? We're going to kick it up. We're going to take out our swords and start cutting ourselves. And hopefully Baal will see the blood. So why, and this ain't no paper cuts. They, they get into marrow. They, they huh, doing stuff. And as they're leaking, Elijah's just sitting there like, all right, God. Because they done ran out of resource. They can't holler no more. They lightheaded. They done gave all their blood out. What are we going to do next? The scripture says immediately. That's a word I want to see in 2023. Immediately. I know there's a lot of things I've been praying for, and a lot of things I've been pressing for, and a lot of things I've been wanting to see. I don't want to wait any longer when I serve a God that does immediately. I don't have to wait for a certain time of atonement. I don't have to wait for a certain time where I can go into the temple and make sacrifice. Immediately said the scripture. That's where I want to live in 2023. I love how Apostle brought up the year we spent in pandemic. I call it the year I spent in money. Because I don't, I thought about it when you said it last night. The economy didn't make any sense. Wasn't nobody going to work. I got paid more to stay home than I've ever got paid to go to work. I ran out of stuff to do with money. I was buying my sister's stuff, sending people cash apps. Like, bro, I done paid my rent three times this month, and it's the same month. I don't got any more money. I done ordered everybody's takeout. I don't need nothing. This is what I want to see reflected in 2023. I love that the word said retribution. When you look up that scripture, it means reward, not scripture, but definition. It means reward or punishment. Reward or punishment. Depending on what you so choose. I know the word said in 2 Peter, I don't need this. I know the word said in 2 Peter 1 and 10 to make your calling, your election sure. Whether you choose, you get either side of the prophetic blessing. You may get the reward or you may receive the punishment. Which way are you choosing to move? This season is real different because when people don't understand, if you're looking on the news, people are losing their mind left and right doing all kinds of craziness left and right. They seem like they have no answers, but we in the house of God have the very source of answer. The Bible says the only wise God, the one only to be praised. I love that the Lord whispered in, whispered in my ear. Listen, had me toe up when he, when he put whisper and wind together. He's a whisper. I'm asking God, why are you not talking to me with your, your daddy voice like you normally do, the, the big chest voice? He said, no, nah, I'm whispering this season. I'm doing it quiet this season. I get really pressed in my mind because they need answers and we have them. But we won't go to the altar. They're seeking out mediums, psychics, every kind of drug under the sun. We got people being pressed into LSD and all kinds of crazy stuff. They want answers, but we already have them. Are we willing to make ourselves to the altar? It's a question of self. No one can make you come to this place. No one's going to compel you to come here. You have to decide whether or not you want to be here. I heard another preacher. I don't know what uh, Instagram doing. They must be attached to my anointed, but I keep going through reels and finding preachers. And this preacher said this doctrine of tolerance has entered into the house of God that makes us weak. It makes us fickle. Well, we tolerate a bunch of stuff rather than dictate a bunch of stuff. We let things happen and then ask God rather than getting in the front of this thing. This is not a season that we're going to have to keep going back and forth with people. God's not holding hands in this season. If you want to come on this expedient journey, let's do that. If you don't, I'll come back for you. I love the way God's mind thinks. I don't love you any less, but right now you're holding up the camp. Right now, you're holding up the move. You're holding up what needs to happen because you want to satisfy your flesh. You want to satisfy your own ambition and your own desire. Hosea chapter 10, verse 1, it talks about the richer people got, the higher their altars became. And the further they got away from God. God showed us in 2020 how rich we could be. How high are our altars? And where are they erected to? How high we made our beautiful pillars? And where are they directed towards? 
God has never stopped being in the blessing business. We stop being in a receiving posture. We're still praying, still asking God to do things I've already done. One of my colleagues shared it, that the custodial work of God is already established. There's a harmony to the cosmos. There's a harmony, even to how, I got, I got my doctor here, she'll tell you, your body has its own rhythm. There's a harmony to how God puts things together already. You don't have to worry about the custodial work if you get your mind on the things of God. If you can get your mind on the focus of everything after that part. I don't, listen, apostles said it for years. I don't worry about money. I don't worry about having things. I don't really worry about too much of anything because of God be the promise keeper that he said he is. Oh, okay, somebody knows a promise. Someone's heard a promise. If God be the promise keeper, the Bible says in Numbers 23, I'm not a man that I should lie, nor the son of man I should repent or change my mind. My word cannot return unto me void, but it must accomplish what has been sent out to do. I already proclaimed your destiny. It has to be fulfilled. That's found in the custodial work. It's already set in motion. So if I take my hands out of God's business, oh, okay, because we don't want to receive that part. If I take my hand out of God's business and focus on what he asked me to do, I'm asking the job for overtime and I'm looking for better benefits and I'm trying to get a little further ahead in my job. If I get my hands out of God's business, okay, I'll talk, I'll talk to Apostle. Because nobody wants to see I'm a workaholic. Anybody know me? I beat that clock to pieces until God gave me revelation. If you get your hands out of my way, I can fill your storehouse. But so long as your hands are in my way, there's a hole in your bucket, dear Liza, and it's going to keep spilling out. It's going to keep spilling out because you keep trying to fill it with the wrong things. We're in pursuit of the wrong aspects. On the way in, I begin to press, and Lord, settle my mind. Because you know when God speaks a lot, it's hard to pinpoint which one we're going with. Because I didn't have about four sermons this morning. I said, Lord, which one is which? I said, okay now, because you know me, I brain dump. Help me. And he began to show me what the scripture says about a double-minded man. He's unstable in all his ways. Here's the, here's the bigger, here's the kicker, right? and should expect to receive nothing from God. Does that mean God's not doing? No. It means you're not standing still. Where are you at? Where are you when I did the pouring? Where were you? The windows of heaven are open. Where were you when I did the pouring? You've been asking me and I did. John 14, 13 and 14, anything asked in the son's name, I'll go to do it to the glory of the father. I answered your prayer already. Where were you for the response? This morning I was I was just I was overwhelmed one because Lord you know I went to bed at 3 a.m. and it is 6:15. Okay, I am up. What is it that you need to hear? I'm up. What, what we learn? Speak, Lord. That servant is listening. I'm up. What are we talking about? It began to talk about Abraham and Isaac. It began to talk about Isaac was the promise. We understand that he did his own thing and you know went with Hagar and had his own little son or whatever, and ended up having to cast his son out. But Isaac was the promise, right? The Bible says that Isaac, whom Abraham loved dearly, he said to him, bring him to the altar. I want you to sacrifice him. I just heard every father in the room go, oof. You mean to tell me the one I've been waiting for, the one thing I've been praying for, God, you tell me I'm about to put it on the altar? The tenacity of Abraham is a blessing, though, because you never see in Scripture that he flinched. You never seen that he asked a question, second guess. Hey, boy, uh, get, the, get the sticks. Y'all two come with me. Get the donkeys. We out. I read the rest of the scripture. It said, hey, y'all two stay here. Me and the boy going to go forward. And they walk in and they walk in. Isaac's like, uh, daddy, uh, you got the fire and the knife and I got the sticks. You told them other dudes to stay back there. Uh, what are we finna put on this, uh, here altar, sir? Now, Isaac, I don't know if his anointing kicked in yet because his discernment would have been like, you. But he, he said, Abraham said, chill, don't worry about it. We're going to get there. We're going to get to the point where we have, God's going to provide what we're going to put on the altar. He gets to the place that God told him to go, and he tied him up. Did it say that Isaac squirmed? Did it say that Abraham flinched? Nope. You know why? That's called congruent alignment. 
That's called agreement. That when, when Abraham got to the altar, there was agreement. I'm not necessarily worried about what I'm about to give up because what I'm going to receive is agreement. I'm not worried what I had to lay down here because obviously if you're taking the best thing that I have, you must respond in like fashion. We sang it last Sunday. Uh, Given it shall be given. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, runneth over. Shall men be compelled to give unto my bosom? If I'm going to put it down, God, you're going to pick it up and multiply it. So if I'm laying my best thing on the altar... Something's got to be coming out of this. So the Bible says that he tied him up, he put him on the altar. Knife up. Angel said, oh, oh, chill. All right. We get the point. You was going to do this. There's a ram in the bush. That's the tenacity we have to have in 2023. He shared me, like I said in the beginning, it's not about where the altar is that the people have a problem in. We don't know what to do once we get there. We have such a struggle speaking and advocating on our own behalf that now that we've gotten to the holies of holies, so to speak, we've gotten to this sacred space. I don't know what to say to you, God. I don't know what to deliver to you, God. What do I really tell you? Because if I tell you all the secrets in my mind, I'm going to be dirty now. Have you missed the part that he's omnipotent and omniscient? I saw you do it. I was there. I'm everywhere. I saw it. I'm not necessarily concerned. Even the Bible goes so far to tell us that we'll continue to fall short of the glory of God. He understands that we're not perfect. If we were perfect, we didn't need Jesus. He understands that I'm going to be off sometimes. I don't care about you being off. I want to know what you're offering. What are you putting down on this altar? What are you going to give me? What are you going to sacrifice that I can make you better? Are you going to hold on to your erected idols? Or are you going to follow me like you said you were going to follow me? We struggle so hard in prayer because I have to be vulnerable in this state. I can't use my hubris. I can't use my pride to defend me at the altar because the altar is just me and you. You know what I say? When people talk about you, they do it behind your back more often than not. That's not what God does. God's been looking at you the whole time. Love ain't changed. Blessings ain't changed. Mind ain't changed. Promise ain't changed. Where will you change? It's really only about what you're willing to give up. We get to this place and we get to a point where the scripture talks about if we would humble, pray, seek, and turn. So we understand the humbling part is the putting down of pride. We can't hide anything from God. But we're literally holding on to the thing that offends us. That issue, that ought, that mindset, that trauma, that circumstance that we don't want to deliver to God because then I have to admit it hurt. I have to admit that I was there. I had to admit that I was wrong. The biggest struggle with being corrected is admitting that you're wrong. Rebellious son raising his hand. My hardest issue with rebuke is I had to admit that I wasn't right. I can take rebuke. I was raised in a house of whoopings. I can take a whooping. I don't like admitting that I'm wrong. This is where we struggle at, right? So now that we've humbled ourselves, we understand the purpose of praying. What's the seeking part? This is the part we got to think about. What, what is it that we're looking for? Are we looking for God to tantalize my flesh? Or are we looking for God to do what he said he was going to do in my life? What is it that we're seeking? I love the, the part where, well, this is the part where the study where the Lord takes me off scripture and starts to talk to me. And he reminded me how I was brought up in church. And how the church mothers would pray. Before service, mid-service, after service. Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays, they were at where? The altar praying. Not even just praying, but doesn't the scripture say that we, we don't have the words to pray, that the spirit makes intercession on our behalf with moans and groans. I remember coming up where the mothers would wail at the altar. There wasn't a language to this intercession. They would just moan and sway and moan and sway, and then the Lord would do. That's what seeking looked like. Seeking doesn't look like you've looking for something you lost. It's a pursuit of what I need. How do we find that, that, that thing? How do we pursue God if it's not in where he can be found? We're literally looking for God in places that he does not reside in. Yes, he's omnipresent. Yes, he, he, he's over everything. He's not in my pride. He's not in my issue. He's not in my job. Let me tell you something. Clocking in ADP is not God. There is no anointing on ADP. Because I'm joking to miss up your check and not blink twice. There is nothing going on there. 
realistically, if Adam didn't fail, I wouldn't have to clock in anyway. So what, what is really drawing me to this working place? It's because I'm looking for something God said he would do already. I'm looking for this money, this paycheck, this payroll to give me something that God said he would already do. This is how the body deals with voids and openness. We try to fill it with things. We try to fill it with people and situations and relationships. We try to fill that hurt place with some kind of remedy that's not God. It's like you got a real illness, but instead of going to get your prescription, you're going to take over the counter. You're going to take some Tums and you got irritable bowel syndrome. You need something else. You don't need no Tums. You need actual medicine. This is how we've got to start looking at God. God is not just some over-the-counter remedy for my, my slight indigestion. God is the medicine for my soul that I need to be restored to the context in which he thought about me. That's what the restoration really is. It's not being restored to the way I think of myself. It's how you said I would be when you released me from your mind. That's what the restoring really is. What did I look like when you let me go from your mind? When you put me with my mama and my daddy and I came into form, what did I look like? Before rejection got to me, before adolescent issues got to me, before sadness and depression got to me, what did I look like? This is why we gotta get to the altar. This is, you know, when a doctor's going to surgery, they say, don't touch me, I'm sterile. This is the most clean place where you can lay something down for God. This is the most sacred spot where you can lay something down for God. This is where the master surgeon shows up and does the right cutting. There's no anomaly to this surgery. He knows exactly where to pull that thing out and cause a healing to be put there. But we have to find ourselves here. The, the, excuse me, the clarion call has already gone out. Apostle said it last night, that last Sunday wasn't playing like that. It was such a drawing from the Holy Spirit that brought her to the altar. It happened again last night. There's not many times where I've seen my leader overwhelmed in the spirit like that off her feet. I said, all right, that's a word. Wait for her to get up, because it's gonna be something heavy. And then what happens? The call has already gone out. What are we gonna do with our minds? What are we gonna do with our issues? We find such a reason and not prioritizing our lives and making our life an excuse why we can't do ministry. Everything in our life is an excuse why I can't show up on time, why I can't do certain things, why I can't stand under the call that I said God called me by. One of the conversations I feel like I have every semester with the students in the institute is, I didn't make you come up here. You said God called you to be up here and now you're standing in front of me telling me you quit. Who gave you the authority to quit? If the call didn't come from you, how do you send the call back? Okay, I got five people that figure that part out. If the call didn't come for you, who do you are? Who are you to send the call back? I wish you would put Jesus to voicemail. He called you, and you gonna send the call back? But then wonder why you're still not healed. Wonder why you still don't got your deliverance. Wonder why you're still not walking in power. Why your family's still not delivered. Why your generations are still suffering. But you gave the call back. The issue that we have in our minds is we deal with God relationally how we deal with people. I'll quit you before you hurt my feelings. I'll walk away before you do something to me. Before you make me uncomfortable, I'll block your number. God can't be blocked. I don't care about T-Mobile, Sprint, AT&T, Verizon, iPhone, them devils from Samsung. It cannot be blocked. I said what I said. Can't be blocked. Even with them witchcraft devices. Cannot be blocked. I ain't figured out we are iPhone family here. <laughs> come, come, come. I want you to think about this, right? A lot of the Bible is formulaic. If you do this, this happens. If you do this, this happens. Not that God is transactional. He writes it simple so we'll figure it out. If you just do this, I'll do this. If you notice the math of it, he's carrying way more of the weight than we are. The little part is really our minds that get in the way from us getting to the little part that we have to carry. 
This is why we have altar workers. This is why we have people up here who are trained to help do the surgery. These are the midwives. These are the nurses in the room. These are the people that are helping the surgeon get to the point. But if you never make the appointment to get to the operating table, will you receive the surgery? No. While you're sitting there ignoring the need, ignoring the issue and the pain and the indication that I still have something I'm carrying and something I'm holding on to, all you had to do was make the appointment. What didn't the Bible say? Silver and gold have I not, but what I have. And the Bible said all they did was this here. The appointment was him reaching back. The appointment was him putting his hand out. I could have stayed in despair. I've been at this pool for so long. My legs is lame. I'm tired. It hurts. People have been talking about me. They've been looking down on me. They walk past me. They tell me to get a job, bum, all kinds of stuff. But all he had to do, put his hand right back out. What does the scripture say? It didn't say tomorrow. It didn't say next week or next season. Instantaneously, he picked up his bed and was able to walk. Say it again, Reverend. Thank you. That's the word I'm rocking with for the rest of the season. Immediately. Mike, we need immediately. We need immediately. Let's just do it now. I'm reminded so often in the Bible, Jesus didn't tarry for anything. When they came and said that Jairus' daughter was laying down dead, he didn't tarry for that. He walked in to Letha Kumi. Get up. There was no big old issue, was no big old, let's grab hands and stand in a circle. He knew the authority that he stood up under. He said, I'm going to say it now, and it's going to happen. I remember the centurion said, come to my house. Excuse me. The Lord said, I'm going to come to your house. The centurion said, I'm not worthy for you to walk in here. Send your word, and it'll be done. He said, right where we're having this conversation, we stopped that. Send your word, and I know it'll be done. Jesus responded, I haven't seen faith like this anywhere. I haven't seen faith like this anywhere. I've been walking with these jokers, and I ain't seen faith anywhere like this. I've been walking with them. They haven't seen all the stuff I can do. They don't believe me as much as this Roman does. I believe Jesus talked like that raw on purpose. Because y'all going to let this Roman outdo your faith? If you look at how the world implements faith, they believe a lot in certain things. There's people who are literally dying by the stock market. They will believe that little number as much as they can, right? I don't know if people lost money in Bitcoin because they believed what was going on, right? They activated their faith in something else, and then it left them. Then they were destitute. Then what? Doesn't the scripture tell us that he'll never leave us nor forsake us? Do we believe that? Do we believe most of the things that we confess or do we repeat them because the Bible said it? Do we repeat it because our favorite preacher said it? Or do we actually believe it? Because if I'm remember, reminded correctly, Proverbs 18 and 12 tells us that the power of life and death reside in my tongue. Do I actually believe the things I'm putting life to, or am I just repeating it because it sounds good? So a man thinks, so is, oh, y'all know the word, amen. So then, since we know the word, what are we doing? What's the posture that we need to have? Okay, three people understood it, Amen. This is what we got to think about. What are we wrestling with? I even said the scripture on this morning, what did bewitch you? What got in your mind? What changed your conviction? What had you switch covenants? What came into your mind and had you switch up on God? Because it wasn't God. God don't flip-flop. He ain't wishy-washy like that. Didn't he say he's not an author of confusion? So, and Pastor Kareem taught me this scripture. If the hedge is broken, the snake is able to bite. So where in ourselves can we see that the hedge was broken? Have we been doing our due diligence to stay in discipleship? Have we been showing up when the call has been made? Have we been moving in integrity and honor? Have we been treating God like the sovereign Lord he is and not the bumper sticker we put on the car? There's a level of value we have to put to God where he's not just something I talk about at the dinner table. 
It's not just the tattoos I have on my body or the sashes that I wear. It's something that resides on the inside of me. David said, is that word that has written on my heart that I would not sin against you. He said, didn't write it on the tablets. It's written on my heart. It lives in here. My conviction thrives in here. That's what preaching really is. Y'all know that, right? It's not just because I'm a good auditor. It's the conviction that I have that translates and you bear witness with the conviction. That's why some of the sanctuaries be quiet because there ain't no bearing of witness, but you know, whatever. So we talked about the, the humbling, the praying, the seeking, right? Then there's the turning. This seems to be the hardest part because we can get people through three fourths of the journey but the turning seems to be the hardest part. I'm gonna be a little transparent, right? So I said, Lord, I've been fluffy my whole life. I don't wanna be fluffy. What's my problem? It's not food and it's not calories. It's how I think about these things. It's my mentality on these issues. If I would literally change my mind and how I think about this, I'd be able to handle it differently. You know what it's called? My turning. If I would turn from the things that satisfy my detriment, I would literally have a better outcome. Oh, we got six people willing to turn. Turning comes at a sacrifice. That's what you lay up here. Turning comes when I identify what my problem is, my attachment to the problem, and where I do not want to be attached at any longer. It comes with a reasoning that we have with God. God, this is where I've been. This is what I've been involved in. This is what I've been doing. Show me why. My friend said that's the Socratic nature of therapy where you ask as many questions as you can until you exhaust the issue. I get in prayer like that. I just got a bunch of whys. You already did all the other stuff. My my lights are still on, my my car work, all that good stuff, happy thoughts. Here's what I really want. I want to know the why. Why do I behave like this? Why am I still here? Why am I still stuck in this seat? I know I love you and I know I'm convicted and I know I have the Holy Spirit. Why am I still here? Why am I still walking this like this? Why am I still doing these things as if I have no control? The Bible says in Galatians chapter five, verse 23, that the fruit of the spirit is self-control. So if I say I have the Holy Spirit and I have not self-control, which one of them is a liar? It makes you think about, what what am I really doing? You know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result? So every day when I get these two sandwiches from Cumberland Farms, and I told God I would not want to look like this in the next year, I did it again. After I done finished the sandwich, I'm like, okay, that was, oh, dang on it, I done did it again. It was good for the moment. That's usually what sin feel like. It feel good in the moment. Sin feel real good in the moment. Are we going to be a little more honest in 2023? There's things that we're involved in feel good while I'm doing it. But boy, once it's over. That one hurt my feelings. Conviction hurts. I told you, I don't like admitting that I'm wrong. Conviction is the Holy Spirit telling me that I was wrong. But God, there was only two for six. (laughs) Hey, listen, this is how your mind reasons with stuff. Your mind makes excuse for things. Because I could have went and got me a bacon, egg, and cheese from McDonald's, but that's going to cost me about $13. God, it was only two for six. I'm being a good steward. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing right by the blessing, right? I'm, I'm, you know? Until God made this face. Like, you really was going to try that with me? Your silly math, you was really going to try that with me? This is where we got to start thinking about our actions and what we're involved in. Like I said, we talked about the humbling the praying, the seeking. This is where we do the personal labor because God's not going to make you turn. Turning is a choice. God can make, give you situations to humble you and God can give you situations that bring you to your knees in prayer. Disclaimer, don't do that because God will literally bring you to your knees in prayer. It's better not to be on the side of an angry God. Okay, amen. So hum- humble, pray, seek. God inspires those three. The turning comes by your own nature. My willingness to be different. My willingness to change myself. I really don't have a desire to change really anybody because who am I to change anything? He's the master creator. I don't want to change anybody. 
But I notice in most conflicts in my life, the common denominator is what? Me. Most beef I didn't had, most issues I didn't had, most arguments I didn't had, most jobs I didn't lost. It wasn't them, oh, because I'm black, they treat me weird. No, it was me. Gotta stop talking to the boss like that. I probably shouldn't have said what I was, you know. I was right, but I probably shouldn't have said it like that, you know. Don't the Bible talk about sweet words? I should have said it. I should have wrote it in the Hallmark card. I should have I should have did it like Leah and write it down in something nice. And, and you know, make it sweet. And then the apostle teaches the sandwich. You give him a blessing, then you hit him hard, and then you give him a blessing. I use none of that. There's a bunch of jobs that still don't want to see my face. The turning comes when we've gotten to a point where I'm tired. I'm tired of behaving like this. I'm tired of the result. I'm tired of the detriment it is causing to me. If you want to make it a little more literal, your body can only take so much. That's weight, that's unhealthy behaviors, that's mindsets, that's indulgence. Your body can only really endure so much physically. Think about that in the spirit as well. You can only endure so much before you find yourself reprobate. You can really only endure so much before you find yourself really needing God. Why get to that point? Why get to the point where now I really need you to rescue me when he's already sent a savior? He's already sent a way for me to be delivered. He's already sent a way for me to be whole. Why make it so that you now have to rescue me? Remember the scripture when he told Peter to walk? The savior was talking to him. He was able to walk for a minute until he wouldn't turn from his own human, humanistic thinking and required a savior. What did he say when he picked him out of the water? Oh, ye of little faith. Bro, you still ain't figured it out? You realize you was walking? The boat's over there. We're over here. You still ain't figured it out? In the most loving fashion way that the Holy Spirit can, that's the question that he's asking. We still haven't figured it out? Didn't the word say that some of us ought to be teachers by now? It tells us that we're still stuck on the elementary things because we're still stuck in our own desires of what we want, what we want to see from God. The season that we're in, and I'm coming to a close, the season that we're in requires us to be honest. What we put on this altar can't come because apostle said, this is what you put down here. As authoritative and anointing as the vessel is, it has to come by our sacrifice our time that we spend with God, what God shows us about laying down and putting it down. It can't come by template because that's not going to be for everybody. What gets me don't get Joel. What gets Joel don't get uh, Prophet Latanya. You have to spend that time with God for him to show you you. And then when the agreement comes in is when we all meet up here, ready to drop off what we don't need, ready to drop off what is not beneficial to us. Didn't he curse the fig tree because it didn't produce fruit? All right, amen. I'll leave it like that. Say la. We're standing to our feet. Now, as you're standing to our feet, I want you to stand up with a sacrifice on you. Stand up with a mind of sacrifice. Do a little deep dive introspectively into your mind as you're standing. Ty, you must be anointed because I was definitely about to ask you to help. Stand with something in your mind that you want to deliver. Minister Leah said it perfect. This is the first year of 2023. This is the first Sunday of 2023. What better time to make sacrifice than right now? There are 364 other days this year. Are you choosing to live them the same as you've done in the past? Are you going to make sacrifice now to live the best life you've ever had? Come on, begin to open up your mouth. This is a personal moment. Begin to open up your mouth and give God something. Something I don't want to live with. Something I don't want to think about. Something I don't want to keep causing me to be awake and causing me to fail. Something that's thwarting my promise. And we're going to do like Abraham did. We're not going to flinch, we're not going to quiver. We're going to put this thing on the altar and leave it there. In the mind that won't turn, we pick back up our sacrifice. 
We want God to burn it and then we'll pick it back up and try to salvage it because that's our comfortable place. That's what we've known to be consistent. But now, somebody say now, right now, I want to leave this thing at the altar and never look back. I want to leave this thing down here and not return to it. Come on, this is personal. I'm not, we're not going to do nothing. This is something that you have to do. There's been too much hand-holding in the body. We have to do it. We have to be responsible for this relationship. God can't patty-cate us through every season. We have to do it. Come on, hands raised, hands raised, hands lifted. Let's really get in a posture of sacrifice. Come on. I feel the wind. I feel the wind. It's sweeping through the room. We're in agreement. We talked on last night that the formula of Pentecost wasn't the amount of people, but the agreement in the room. Father, we pray that your wind would sweep through the atmosphere, that it would sweep through the sanctuary, descending upon each and every one that is presenting a sacrifice, that we would avail ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And what we lay down, God, let us have the tenacity to not pick up. Let us not return to our vomit, but let us let that thing go at the altar so that we can experience the abundant life that you said we should have. Come on, there's a press that comes with this. There's not a look, there's not a, a way that you should do this. This is personal. Somebody dig deep and give God what he's asking for. There's things that God want to show you in this season. It's going to require you to make room. Not that you've done anything wrong and not that he's upset with you, but you're going to have to make room. You carry too many people's emotions in your heart that God finds it hard to have residence in there because you're carrying other people's baggage. Sometimes you have to let live, live and let live. David, what are you going to put down in this season? Don't even answer me. I want you to think about it. What are you going to put down? There's greatness all on you, but seasons continue to pass because you're holding on to your sacrifice. God can't take back his promise on you because it's already been proclaimed. What are you going to do about his promise? Dominique, you know the Lord loves you, right? I know he has plans, thoughts towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you hope and an expected end. You know why it says hope? Because hope is a safe place. When you're able to have hope in God, it's a safe place. He can't fail you. He can't turn on you. He can't lie to you. That's where that safe place is. God is showing that you're always looking for security, somewhere where you can put your feet down. He says you can plant your feet here. You can plant your feet here in the safe place. Yeah, you've been mishandled, and yeah, you've been disappointed. This is the one place where that can't happen. Not on my time and not on my watch, says the Lord. I'm not about to mishandle anybody. You guys are mine. Marcus, narrow in, my brother. You haven't seen anything yet. God wants to do a mighty thing in you, brother. But it's going to come at sacrifice. Sacrifice. 